0: Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories! Now welcome your host, Jenny Polly and his lovely wife Tracy. I hear she's a lovely girl.
1: (laughs) Good evening everybody and welcome to episode 15 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I hope everybody's had a great Thanksgiving and everybody was safe out there. glad you tuned in to us. It looks like if you're tuning in, you must have made it through another one of those years of Black Friday shopping. I just uh, can't imagine being out in that mess. Tracy, you were out in that mess, though.
0: Uh, Yes, I was, and I don't know what possessed me to go shopping on Black Friday. It was probably when we were using the Ouija board on Thanksgiving night, just saying. And I summoned the spirit of El. <laughs> yeah,
1: i I'm sure they uh, Kmart needed it. If anybody's going to go shopping, they probably need to go to Kmart. That place is just struggling to stay alive. Again,
0: <laughs> That's man. true.
1: So we, we had a good uh, good time over Thanksgiving. And uh, as always, we're, we're constantly getting new listeners and hearing from you guys. And uh, we told you we're going to start doing some shout-outs. This is the, the shout-outs I got for this week. The number one I've got on my list is a young lady that probably should have already been on here. I feel bad about leaving her off. Marissa Ann Hutcherson. She actually lives in Crestwood, Kentucky. She's a very loyal listener. Comments on a lot of stuff. And uh, sorry if I overlooked you, Marissa, but you made this one.
0: Thank you, Marissa.
1: We've got Misty Baldwin. She actually lives in Chicago. Nice. Thank thank you for listening. Maria Wiggins from Rome, Georgia.
0: That's awesome. Thank you for listening, Maria.
1: And if you think that's awesome, our next two, Chrissy Appleyard and Ashley Kitchen, are both from the United Kingdom.
0: Get out of here. Yep, so... Thank wow, you guys, guys for from listening you. over
1: across the pond. We wow,
0: what an it. honor. That's just amazing. Thank you so much.
1: We told you guys last week that we were going to tell you about the wickedest man in the world. And I think when we get through tonight, you're going to understand uh, why he earned that title. Uh, we're talking about the man himself who gave himself the title of the Beast 666. That's definitely the kind of guy you'd like to uh, take home to mom if oh, you're yeah. if you're if you're a young lady looking for somebody. And uh, well I figured and rather than me introduce him, we'll just let uh, Ozzy Osbourne introduce him. Mr.
0: Trowley What been down in your head!
1: Yes, we are talking about the one, the only Alister Crowley. Um, I can't tell you how many times we've talked about Alistair that's just popped up on this show before, definitely in the music things. We talked about his connection with Zeppelin, um, some of the other people that it's popped up with but but mainly Zeppelin's the one that comes comes across. and we're gonna tell you a little bit about the man himself. So instead of little bits and pieces and, and, and how he influenced, let's just tell you about him, what he's done. And let you make your own opinion on if he is truly what uh, the papers in London deemed him as the wickedest man in the world. So he was born in 1875. He was a very religious family. His mother and father were part of a group called the uh, Plymouth Brethren. Just like the Plymouths that came over to the United States, they were very, very strict. And they took the Bible very literal. Whatever the Bible said, that's exactly how it was. There was no interpretation. That's it. And... He kind of felt like he was pressured by this. He he didn't necessarily believe in in all the uh, uh the Bible. He felt like that he should be able to be a little more free be and himself
0: so yeah, speaker. Yeah. I mean, he
1: just didn't feel like that everything that they said was a sin was a sin. Mm-hmm. Now they had a lot of money because their fa- family had a brewery that had done very well. Uh well enough where his dad could retire early and he used that spare time to travel and preach for their congregation. Okay. And um also, to just spend time with the family. Well, Edward, uh, who was the dad, actually would take Alistair along with him on all these little preaching things. He he was totally indebted to his dad. Loved his dad to death. That was his mm-hmm. see-all, be-all. Wouldn't real close to his mom, but was to to the dad. Mm-hmm. And most of this becomes, a lot of people say, well, why wasn't he close to his mom? Because his mom basically had deemed him to be the beast back even when he was 9, 10, 11 years old. Wonder because, why. Because he didn't he had his own opinions that oh. varied from what the Bible oh, was. Gotcha. And that was, you know, that was blasphemy to them.
0: Yeah. So he just didn't straight believe what they believed. So right. There so you go. just
1: okay. because they were so straight and narrow that if he was just a little bit off the path, you know, yeah. oh my goodness. So 1987, the dad, Edward actually passed away mm-hmm. after a short battle of cancer. He was only in his, in his early fifties. Oh, wow. So it was kind of a shock to the, the family and it devastated Alistair. It's kind of, I guess from that point, that he kind of committed himself to be a sinner. I mean, anything that was in the Bible or that he was taught from his preachings, he was going to go against. So,
0: in other words, he was pissed because his dad passed away. I guess, and he didn't, and so he would, I guess in his mind, think, why would God let my dad pass away? Or and I, then don't,
1: that's... I don't know the reasoning behind it, but I guess he felt like that all this, I guess from his dad tone just turned into anger yeah. and went against the church. And
0: so he felt betrayed in a way, I, would, I
1: guess. I would think that probably had something to do well, with it. Well, that's sad. So he went to Cambridge University, which is one of the top universities,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, obviously, in England, and, and he became enamored with the occult he read a book over there on on black magic and from that point on he was he was stuck that's what he wanted to do then he met a guy named george cecil jones who was into alchemy and alchemy you know it's it's kind of like um medieval um doings of of, you know like it's another form of magic basically um
0: gotcha. bit meaner
1: yeah well not really (laughs) Alchemy was, was more like uh, you hear about the Merlin, the magician, and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And it was just basically almost like being a scientist oh. more than, than magic. Okay. Uh, but, I didn't know what
0: that meant, seriously. Yeah.
1: So when he met this guy, this George Cecil Jones, he introduced him to a group called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Doors. Now, that group was kind of a group of nothing but black magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it, you would think that it was almost like a Satanistic group. And, and, but it had some pretty famous members there was a guy uh, you might have heard of by the name of Bram Stoker who was actually the gentleman who wrote Dracula was oh. a member of this and this was kind of like a little secret society so mm-hmm. if you weren't in it you didn't know who so was you in wouldn't it have a clue. Yeah. wouldn't have a clue he met a guy named Samuel Mathis and Samuel Mathis was the gentleman who really started turning him on to some of these uh, books of magic mm-hmm. and actually spells and what have you so after he actually graduated, he got his inheritance. So he was only like 21 years old, but he got this huge inheritance from his family's fortune. So he didn't need money.
0: Wait, who did?
1: Um, Alistair.
0: But wasn't his mom still alive? I well, mean, I think, I think to... at
1: this point in time, it, was, it wasn't so much like where she died. It was like an endowment. Oh, what do you, what okay. do you call it when they got uh, mm-hmm. trust funds? They okay. had a trust fund that he was able to get when he was 21 oh, years good. old. So, oh. when that happened, obviously, he doesn't need money. Mm-hmm. So, he could just go about his merry way and do
0: what he wants. And right? not
1: have to work and do what he wants. So, he put off his time in the study of magic. About a year later, he met a guy named Alan Bennett. He was part of this Golden Door Society, and he agreed to actually come with him to this, live with him in this nice apartment and do nothing but tutor him on black magic and how to cast spells and what have you. Well, that's the gentleman who introduced him to the Grimoires. Now, Grimoires are basically a book of spells. So there's all kinds of different ones. The one he was the most infatuated was, was the Goetia.
0: Goetia. Edia. Oh, Edia.
1: Yeah, Goetia. Like, Goetia yourself. Oh. That's probably, it sounds bad, but then again, oh, it's not as bad as what not. The... <laughs> But what the Goetia was, it was a book of spells that teaches you about invoking angels and demons and he learned this from a book called the, S- the lesser key of solomon which is about somewhere around the 17th centuries where this came out so you can see the direction mm-hmm. he's going in already oh, yeah. no, now mathis mathis the guy from the golden doors he was so impressed with how quick he was moving up the ranks that he wanted to kind of mentor crowley and kind of jump in there but crowley wouldn't was unhappy with the whole um, golden door society he felt like it was a joke uh, he felt like that A lot of the members didn't like Aleister Crowley and kind of turned their back on him because he was an open homosexual. He was more of a bisexual, because every time he had sexy, every time he had sexy, he had to buy it.
0: All right, I wouldn't go in there no, with that. But that was a good one, though. That no, was
1: good. He actually was a bisexual when he was open about it, because, once again, his whole philosophy was any sin he could break and, and yeah. you know live your, live your life as open and do what you want to do. So that was kind of his thing. So a lot of the guys kind of turned their back with him. But he also felt like that these guys were a joke. They felt like that, that it was like a fancy country club for him, and he really wanted to take this whole magic stuff serious. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, he didn't seem like they wanted to do it. He wanted to take this whole thing farther. So in 1898, Mathers introduced Crowley to the secret book of the Abramelon. This goes back to the 15th century. Now, the the book describes a ritual to bring forth your guardian angel. It's called the Abramelon Operation. Not to be confused with the game operation. Not
0: at all?
1: Yeah, there was no buzzing or tweezers well, or Well, that don't about.
0: sound like no dang fun to me at all. I
1: know. It's not the perfect Christmas gift like you would think. I know. You imagine you actually gave your kids that and, oh, I thought it was that one game I played with a kid, but this is actually ten invoke demons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Oops. Gosh, don't give anybody <laughs> any ideas.
1: So, in order to do this, he wanted to find the perfect location. The only way he's going to find the perfect location... Was to just get out on his own and look, and it took him over a year to find the place. Why? Does it, what was the perfect location? What's he looking for? He had to have a door that opened to the north. Why? Well, because that's what the book says. You oh, had to have an open oh, door. Oh, outside the door, you had to have a terrace. So he was going to have to put, you know, if it wasn't already a place, he was going to put have to put a cover on it or something and make a terrace for the spirits to be able to gather.
0: Yeah, you had to.
1: You had to take. The uh, area out there. And you had to put fine sand. River sand over it.
0: Um, I think that's just a little bit too much for these people.
1: Well the reason for the fine sand. Was so when the demon, demons actually showed up. You could see their footprints in the sand. That was the purpose of the sand. is So you could see.
0: Oh so I guess that makes sense.
1: And it had to be secluded. So it took him a while to find mm-hmm. everything he wanted to go. So one day he's out driving around. He goes to the north of Scotland. Doesn't know why, what brought him there. He just shows up. He's at a graveyard, and at the graveyard, he looks up, and that's where he sees the house for the first time. This house that he deemed to be perfect is the house that we've talked about before, the Boleskine House. Oh. So Boleskine House, once again, was the house that Jimmy Page once bought. Um, What made this house perfect, besides it had all the stuff, is some crazy stuff. First of all, it was built exactly on a spot where there used to be a medieval church, the church burnt down with the whole congregation in it.
0: Oh, my God. Are you kidding? Yeah.
1: The cemetery, supposedly, was a gathering place for witches back in the day. So this, to him, and, and this is right there on Loch Ness, by the okay, way. Okay,
0: so you mean to tell me that all those people in the church could not escape? No. They, and that you think that was like a, a curse or a, or the med- medieval people or whatever? I don't know. Not letting what, them what, out? What or?
1: supposedly was said was there was a fire that just happened to start and then when the people tried to get out they had no way of getting out oh my gosh that's the
0: saddest thing ever
1: so sadder than a sarah mclaughlin commercial about puppies
0: Mm, i don't know i've been watching those commercials today and i've i've had to turn down the sound because it made me pretty sad those commercials
1: are depressing they
0: are depressing so love your dogs and your cats
1: he thinks this is like the perfect house because all this and people say that you know how did he find this house and and like i said Some people think that he was maybe kind of drawn to the house, just spiritually drawn to the house. Because he just happens to find a graveyard where witches used to gather, a house that's right there on Loch Ness. Mm -hmm. It's secluded. And so he's like, this is the perfect house.
0: Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like it has to be that way. It also
1: even had a, um, uh, supposedly, and this hadn't been really confirmed, but it also had a tunnel that led from the house to the graveyard that he supposedly used for rituals also. But that's, that part's not been confirmed. So, the, he one, thought this house was so perfect in 1899, he paid twice what the house was worth.
0: Oh, so just so he'd make sure he got he it Make he made sure,
1: make sure he got it.
0: Why can't he just have a house with a white picket fence and be done with it?
1: I don't think he's a white picket fence kind of guy. No. He's more of a gates of hell type guy. Oh.
0: <laughs> so, a black picket fence, yeah. then.
1: <laughs> he's a black picket fence, but he's got like gargoyles and shit on
0: top.
1: <laughs> now, we're going to talk about it. So he went through all this to, to get this perfect house to do this ritual. But keep in mind, this ritual is not meant to be something horrible. It's supposed to be meant to be something positive. It's meant to meet your guardian angel and, and get advice. So on the surface, you could see that actually sounds like a pretty cool deal. Hmm. Unfortunately, to get to your guardian angel, you have to invoke the 12 kings of hell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: not only do you have to invoke them, you have to then be able to control them. Oh, come on now. Yeah, so to to meet your guardian I, angel... I
0: think he's an overachiever yeah, is what I think.
1: To, to meet your guardian angel, you kind of got to go through a few extra steps.
0: Mm, yeah, I'll pass.
1: You also had to be pretty dedicated because I probably didn't mention this already. There's a lot of rules and stipulation to this um, process that he had to go through for this... Um, What's it called? The Ahmad Rashad? No, it's not it. It's the, Ahmad Rashad. Uh, the, <laughs> Is that an actress? Op- no, it was a football player. Oh. He used to be married to Felicia Rashad. Oh, from yeah. The Cosby
0: show. Oh, that's true. Are you true-in? Yeah. I said, Are you truing?
1: Yeah. Jail. <laughs> it's one of the few people that Cosby didn't uh, shove pills down their throat.
0: Ooh, yeah. <clears> throat>
1: Anyways, to do this Abra Mellon operation, you had to be super dedicated. First of all, it lasted six months.
0: Mm-hmm. What'd you have to do for
1: six months? All kinds of different stuff, but it had to start at Easter. You had to basically live on bread and water for the whole time. You had to abstain from sex, which from for him.
0: Well, I was gonna say that's yeah, that for, had to be the hardest part for
1: him in itself. That that was enough, but chastity was all part of it. And you had to get up at three a.m. every morning to start the rituals. Mm-hmm. He gets going right. He's in, the first thing he's got to do is he's got to have. Um, what do you call them? The, uh, the magic squares. This is what brings forth the 12 kings. This is in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. So he cuts his fabric out.
0: Oh, so he had to, you mean yeah, he, had to, he had to make them? Oh. Yeah, he had to make them. They were
1: the talismans that was listed that he needed, which are the tools. That's to a lot of work. Yeah, so he had to cut out the uh, cut out the things, mm-hmm. the, the squares. He takes them into the brightest room in the house and starts cutting the squares out. He starts inscribing letters on them in Indian ink. Well, then all of a sudden, the room started getting dark. Even though it was bright as can be outside. I mean, there was plenty of, of light coming in through the windows, so there's no reason at all that it should have been starting to get dark at all. So he had to light a bunch of candles and put it all the way around. And from this point on, he had to keep lamp, uh, candles lit inside the room, no matter how bright it was outside.
0: Really? I wonder why.
1: Well, I mean, it's... Well, actually, to get more into this, because as he started chanting in the room, it became extra dark, and the terrace outside where he put the sand, mm-hmm. he said, became crowded with shadowy shapes. And he said that the reason that it became dark is there were so many evil spirits in there that they were totally blocking the light from being able to come in.
0: Get out of here. You mean so when he started the chanting? Yep. That's when they appeared?
1: Yep. Oh, my gosh. So they started almost immediately. And keep in mind, this is a six-month deal. Yeah. So Crowley's friend's mostly kind of stayed away from him at this point Mm -hmm. because they said he was dealing with with stuff that he had no clue about didn't understand let alone could be able to control
0: oh yeah so he was in deep i wouldn't want to be around him neither
1: yeah he had one friend named russia that stayed with him for about two weeks but then they got frightened off (laughs) Uh, he just came down for breakfast one day and and uh uh, the caretaker said hey uh so-and-so just took russia just took the the ship into so-and-so. Wherever oh, my gosh. He was, to the, he
0: was out of that place. Wouldn't,
1: wouldn't have it. One day, think. Crowley came home, and he found a priest inside the house waiting for him. One of the uh, Somebody let him in. And this is kind of a, a funny story to kind of tell you what's going on there. But the priest said that, that Crowley's lodgekeeper that actually helps him there at the place, I guess more like a caretaker,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that... He hadn't touched alcohol for 20 years.
0: Mm-hmm. The, caretaker the caretaker had not. The caretaker okay.
1: hadn't. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, the priest, obviously, he's probably having alcohol, boozing it up every day. Well, I, I mean, Catholic, you Catholic. Know. Yeah, you're
0: allowed to do that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the priest says that the caretaker, the night before, who hadn't touched alcohol in 20 years, got drunk, went home, and tried to kill his wife and kids. What? So obviously, the um, spell was working.
0: And it affected him like that.
1: Yeah. So I mean, Crowley's probably happy because everything's
0: kind of falling into place.
1: Yeah. I mean, but but for everybody around him, for the friends and family and stuff like that, it couldn't have worse effects.
0: Yeah. So did he? Did then? Did his caretaker do that? I mean, did he go home and kill them? Or no,
1: he didn't. It was just, uh, but it was the fact that he tried to. And this was a guy that had no issues at all. Oh my gosh. In life, That's just a, so scary. a good family guy, so what have you? Well. Two months into this invocation of the spirits, he got a letter from Samuel Mathis, the guy that he was with for the the Golden Doors. Mm -hmm. And he said that the Golden Doors had a situation where they kind of split into two different views, and he was afraid that he was going to lose his job, and he needed Crowley's help. So Crowley packed his bags, and he went to London.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And he left the spell undone.
0: Oh, come on.
1: With the ritual broken... There was a large dark cloud that all the locals said appeared over top Leskin House and stayed there for several days. I mean, people wouldn't even come around. People, locals, they wouldn't wouldn't pass by. They'd go out of their way and go all the way around to not pass that house.
0: You mean to tell me, after all that time of doing the bread, water, no sex, getting up at 3 a.m., he just happened to say, oh, I'm just going to leave town for a little bit and didn't finish it?
1: Well, he didn't leave town just for a little bit on vacation. He was leaving because this was something that he thought that they could build that society up to what it was, and he felt like that was a big deal. Now, his intentions were to come back and finish the spell, but he didn't, and he ended up moving. You know, one thing led to another. He ended up moving to Mexico for a little while, and the problem is when you invoke spirits, you have to banish them. Yeah. You can't just leave them running around, and the fact that he didn't banish them leads most people to believe that he probably became possessed and was controlled most of the rest of his life by the 12...
0: Yeah, so uh, the spirits were like, Yo, um, hello, we're still here, right? Yeah. So Oh they, my gosh, that's so stupid. And
1: if you if you going to actually read more about the blessed and how we won't get into that here, but you know, there's been several owners after that 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 had tons of different things happen in that house to the point to where they were scared off. Oh and, my you gosh, know, I
0: can imagine, that's horrible.
1: But so here we go, let's fast forward a little bit, about five years later, nineteen oh four, actually four years later. He ends up finally talking to his guardian angel, but it definitely didn't happen the way he thought it was going to happen. He had a friend of his that was a painter. He fell in love with his sister, his name was Rose Kelly. They got married. They moved temporarily to Cairo. That's uh, in over in Egypt that's where they had their honeymoon at. They rented an apartment there and he even had some of the apartment to be redone so it looked like uh, an Egyptian, you know, tomb.
0: She must be some crazy ass.
1: <laughs> So he wanted to impress her, so they spent the night in uh, in one of the great pyramids in mm-hmm. like the king's uh, room up there. Well,
0: that'd be kind of cool, though.
1: It would just look like just an old, dirty basement. So oh, well, they that's not cool. Nothing in there.
0: Oh, never
1: mind. He thought it'd be cool, so he's got this book where he's gonna uh, invoke um some type of a demon Mm -hmm. because he thought you know that'd be impressive. because you know that's what i try to do when i meet a girl is hey come back to my house so i can invoke a demon yeah
0: it worked though right
1: (laughs) i guess (laughs) it worked it didn't work like he wanted it to work so what happens is they spend the night up there he starts reading the stuff well all of a sudden she turns to him and says they're waiting for you who's they well, that's what he said, and he was a little bit ticked off because, I mean, up until this time, he really hasn't actually talked to a, a spirit. He says he's seen them. He says he could feel them, but he hadn't talked to one. And now he's got this bitch. <laughs> she don't know anything about anything about uh, Egypt at all. She knows nothing about uh, spirits or, or spells or magic or any of this stuff. And the first time he's got her trying to do something, she's telling something. So she oh says... Gosh. It was the god, the Egyptian god of Horus. He's never heard of Horus. So he takes her down to the museum. And she leads him. Now, she's never been to this museum. She leads him past exhibit after exhibit after exhibit. And she stops at one and she says, right there.
0: Oh, my gosh. And
1: as they start reading, it's an exhibit talking about the god of Horus. Now, he didn't have a choice but to kind of believe her, especially since the exhibit number was...
0: Six, six, six. Are
1: you kidding me? The exhibit number was 666 and it talked about it.
0: Oh, I'd be so pissed off if I was him all those years of trying to get them spirits to come.
1: So she tells him, she says, Horace has a messenger, which is your guardian angel, and he wants to talk to you at 12 o'clock tomorrow. And for the next three days, matter of fact, at Mm -hmm. 12 o'clock. So 12 o'clock, he's waiting. He's got no reason not to believe her at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. So he's waiting. He hears a voice kind of coming from behind him. And the voice says, write down everything that I tell you. So for the next three days, that's what Crowley did. He wrote down everything that was said to him. What made this important in Crowley's life is this went on to be his new religion. The book that he wrote Based on what he supposedly was told by his guardian angel, was called what? the Book of the Law. What? Damn it, Ninja screwed up my dramatic pause. <laughs> get it? This could be P A W S. I He's, get it. I Ninja's
0: awesome.
1: Anyways, so he writes this book of the law. That's going to be his new religion, and it, it's really just a bunch of, of just. Hey, just do what you want to do. That uh-huh. basically was his religion. Don't let anybody influence you. Do what you want to do and don't give a damn what anybody else thinks. Right. That was basically his religion. But he was also into teaching people to write backwards, which was all into Satanism. And like we talked about before, write backwards, listen to records backwards, learn to walk backwards until it became com- comfortable to you. Yeah. He also was into, you know, sacrificing animals and, and uh, human sacrifices and Terrible. stuff like that. So. Terrible. And just to tell you how how bad of a person he is, when all this happened, Rose was pregnant with his child. He they start trekking around. He just roamed all around the world. So him and Rose, they made it as far as Vietnam. He meets a girl and runs off with a mistress and leaves them by herself. Well, Rose can barely keep up, you know, with the, the little girl. The little girl gets typhoid and dies.
0: Aww. So
1: his his kid. Then he comes back and he blames Rose for the child's death and says that they're through. And she ended up just going crazy and spent the rest of her life in a mental institution. Oh,
0: my God. That's so sad.
1: He meets a guy named Victor Norberg, who becomes becomes his first disciple. And there was definitely a major homosexual relationship going on here, not just an attraction. Uh, this guy, you know, Victor really loved him and had, and had the hots for him. Norbert. Norberg. Oh. Norberg. Do you read any of this stuff? <laughs>
0: I just thought Norbert was better.
1: <laughs> so he grabs this guy Norbert. He wants to test his uh, uh, devotion to him. We'll say his so up
0: and down motion.
1: He, well, not that. Not, well, some. Yeah. Anyways, he <laughs> takes him to Algeria. They walk in the desert for days until they're sleep deprived. They're they're exhausted, and then they decide they're going to invoke uh, a small demon <laughs> by the name of Karanzan.
0: Oh,
1: well, they want a threesome then. Yeah. Well, Karanzan is the dweller of the abyss, which is actually Satan himself. <gasps> yeah. What? And it's kind of screwed up because if you actually read it, and I'm not going to read this because I'm, I'm just one of those people that I wouldn't read it, but let's just say it sounds a lot like zo, zo, zon, 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 even though that's not actually it. That's pretty damn close. That actually means open the gates of hell. That's what the first words of the chant is. Now, they're out in this desert. Now, if you've ever seen anybody do this stuff on TV, these magicians and stuff, they'll draw a circle and they'll stand in a circle. That's supposed to protect them. Because whether you believe in magic or whether you don't believe in magic, if you're going to summon a demon, an angel, whatever you're trying to spirit summon, they can't just come into this world. They have to come in through you. That's how it happens. Mm -hmm. And you'll see them stand in a circle to protect themselves. Well, he put this Norberg guy in the circle, and he stood outside the circle. He just don't care. He was just one of these reckless, abandoned, just I don't give a shit kind of guys. Mm -hmm. So he tries to do this summoning of Satan and stands outside the circle, just basically giving himself up to him. He decides that they're going to have sex during this ritual, him and Norberg. And Norberg is basically the, uh, uh, we'll say the catcher.
0: Uh, and and they're going to be having sand and, and in every crack they got. And,
1: and uh, so they start doing this. And at the point of orgasm, Crowley claims he could see this bright light. And he has a revelation that sex and magic together is what needs to happen. So while well, he comes out of this like, hey, I was going to say smelling like a rose, but rose is gone. So I guess he came out of smelling like a Norberg. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> when he came out of it, feeling like he had this extra knowledge of this is what I got to do, Norberg never recovered, and he, and he ended up going mad, probably from the sand in the cracks because you just can't get that stuff out.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: And after five years of practicing sex magic with all kinds of people all over the world, he meets another girl. They move to Sicily <laughs> and they start their own church.
0: Boy he's a traveling mofo, ain't he? He is.
1: When he gets to Sicily, he starts his own little compound up where he starts getting all these people living. And he's practicing his religion, which is actually called Thelema. Now, remember, he went back and wrote all this book some years earlier uh, called The Book of Laws. And that's Uh what he's basing this religious on. And, of course, he was supposedly given all this through his um, guardian angel, whose name was I Was. I Was what? This is not an Abbott and Costello skit. <laughs> okay. So
0: we're I'm sorry. not going to
1: who's on first and <laughs> I was on second or none of that. It's okay, just. I was. I was. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> so he starts this thing up. He's got tons of people there. It's about as screwed up a deal as you can get. It's kind of like the Kennedy compound, except for. Uh, <laughs> but there's. People having sex with everybody, he was all into orgies and free sex. And they remember, his whole philosophy is do whatever you want to do and don't let anybody discourage you. Mm-hmm. They had adults having sex, kids running around naked, kids running around seeing the adults having sex. Oh, it God. was no big deal. They would do torturous type things. He had all these weird paintings and shit because he was an author, he was a, a poet, and he was an artist. He had all these weird satanistic type paintings and stuff that he would just have people go in and stare at while they did drugs. All kinds of drugs going on. Several of these people caught like syphilis and stuff and died. Uh, it just didn't matter to him. Well, eventually they got into bestiality. Oh, he started. He started having women have sex with goats. Of course, you know goats are the sign of uh, satanist satan yeah. worshiping and stuff. He's having women having sex with goats and all this stuff in front of everybody. Eventually, he had. Um, you know, he taught, there was talks of animal sacrifices and human sacrifices. And eventually what happened was a young lady that had, her and her husband had moved over there uh, to join this compound. He drank the blood of a cat that they had sacrificed. He caught something from it, died. She moved to the United States, told the press what happened, or actually, I'm sorry, she moved to uh, England. She told the press what had happened. And that's when everything started coming down on him. Well, at that point in time, Mussolini, who was in charge of Italy, um, he decided that he was... Going over to Sicily, that was all part of Italy at the time. Where he was over top of it, he went in and kicked the whole thing, stopped all of it, and banished uh, him from the country. Good. And so That's he, sick. Yep. He moved back to England. Uh, he ended up meeting another young lady, and in his older years had another baby. She actually came up to him. He this guy went to all kinds of court for you know you name it, and he was always able to beat everything. What some point in time, he meets this lady. She says, Hey, I want to have your baby. And he says, Okay, I'd like to have a kid. They have a kid together. He actually spent some time with this kid and seemed like the only kid he ever really cared about because Uh the other kids he didn't really care about. And as time went on, he became more and more tame. He actually died in like 1945. He was living alone in a little cheap ass apartment. With less than $500 to his name. No way. Yep. Died practically broke for a guy that, you know, yeah. his whole life was to live everything the way you wanted. And he ends up dying, you know, broke and by himself in a one-bedroom apartment. Karma. Yep. It probably is karma. So that's kind of uh, the, the way we're going to end this story is is telling you, you know, make your own decision. This guy believed in sacrifice. And he believed in Anything to do with Satan, anything to do with sin, that's what he believed in.
0: But don't y'all be doing that now.
1: Yeah, that's not Don't be doing
0: that. Love one another.
1: But I thought I'd read you a couple of quotes to end this from Aleister Crowley so you can hear from the man himself. Here's one I found particularly interesting. The supreme satisfaction is to be able to despise one's neighbor. And this fact goes far to account for religious intolerance. It is evidently consoling to reflect that the people next door are headed for hell. And here's another little beauty for you. The conscience of the world is so guilty that it always assumes that people who investigate heresies must be heretics, just as if a doctor who studies leprosy must be a leper. Indeed, it is only recently that science has been allowed to study anything without reproach. Here's one I kind of like. I can imagine myself on my deathbed spent utterly with the lust to touch the next world like a boy asking for his first kiss from a woman. And here's the last one we'll close with. The modern morality and manners suppress all natural instincts. Keep people ignorant of the facts of nature and make them fighting drunk on bogey tails.
0: What is a bogey tail.
1: I have no clue. It must be like a ponytail. <laughs> I'm going to throw one more in because this one, this is probably the best way to end it. <laughs> I slept with faith and found a corpse in my arms on awakening. I drank and danced all night with doubt and found her a virgin in the morning. Hmm. He was quite the gifted uh, talker.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: Guys, this is going to conclude episode 15 on Aleister Crowley, the wickedest man in the world. I hope you enjoyed it, and hopefully, you got uh, enough information to build a base uh, your decision. There's tons of stuff about this guy. We we just scratched the surface. We could probably do a story on each of the aspects that we talked about. I mean, the whole Sicily uh, compound that could be a whole show. On, on all honesty. Uh, the whole thing in Egypt could have been a whole show. I wanted to focus more on the Bleskin House because we've talked about the Bleskin House in a couple of shows already. With well, Jimmy Page ended up buying that house. That was the same house that he owned. Uh, it's the same house that we talked about the uh, um, Angler, the the uh, guy that did the the music or the movie for uh, with Mick Jagger in it. All that stuff was all part of the Boleskine house. So that's why I wanted to touch on that a little more and, and touch about the whole thing of him trying to conjure up the uh, 12 kings of hell. So that's where we spent the time on this one. But like I said, you could spend a lot of time looking on the internet and find a bunch of cool stuff if you want to read up on this guy.
0: Yeah, don't y'all be wasting your time trying to conjure up 12 devils or whatever they're called because it just ain't worth it.
1: Yeah, I'm not trying to conjure. I'd like to conjure (laughs) up two girls at once. That way, you know, at my age, when I fall asleep, they got each other to talk to. Oh, that
0: sounds awesome.
1: I told somebody one time, I told a girl that she asked what my fantasy was, and I said it was to have two girls at once. And she said, "Uh, it's not like you could satisfy two girls at once. I said, that's not part of the fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. We love you. We'll see you next week.
0: All right. Bye, guys. They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. you are all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. I'll come back now. Here.